Speaking of journeys, I thought it would be appropriate if this journey of the Easter week concluded with a journey. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to find we're actually in the middle of a journey. So the Gospels report... Um, Jesus had a number of encounters with different people after his resurrection, perhaps one of the most profound of which took place on a journey, on a road, a seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to a little town called Emmaus. And there were two people on this journey called Cleopas and one other. We think the one other may in fact be his wife. We're not totally sure, but a lot of commentators think that this might be the couple that are referred to in John chapter 19, Cleopas and Mary. And equally, when they get to Emmaus, it says they go home together. So it may well be a married couple making their way home from the tumultuous events of Jerusalem during the Passover week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday particularly, trying to work out why on earth is going on. On the one hand, they're trying to come to terms with the death of Jesus, their friends, and the crushed hopes that went with his death. On the other hand, they're trying to come to terms with, and they're talking about these strange rumors as to his resurrection. So they're having a pretty impassioned, I imagine, confused, grief-ridden conversation on their own journey. Here we go. Luke chapter 24 and verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. This is the Sunday. About seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they didn't find his body, they came back saying they had seen even a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon, the disciple Peter. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I I just love this story. I really do. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole of scripture. Lots of Christians, I think, feel similarly. In fact, Carol and I, uh, last week, went to a church called Emmaus Road Church because they love this passage uh, so much. And it's a great church to be, uh, to visit. I think the reason why I, and I think many others, love this passage so much is because it just presents, I think, such a beautiful, inspiring vision in front of us of what it can look like to follow, to walk with the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Because we're not here to celebrate simply an event, a spectacular event. We're here to celebrate the repercussions of that event, which is that all of us are invited not just to observe Jesus, but to encounter him, to walk with him, to sense him with us, speaking, guiding, leading, loving, as this couple experience. And so this morning, our invitation is to have and to begin, for the first time or for a fresh time, our own intimate friendship walk with Jesus. That's what I want us to see this morning. There is an invitation to know an intimate friendship with Jesus, to walk with him. And there'll be an opportunity for all of us to receive that this morning in different ways. Um, Just before I go any further, a little sidebar. If you are at all skeptical about the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's that's not surprising. Like miracles are hard to believe in by definition. The BBC poll you might have seen was released last weekend, which kind of demonstrated exactly that fact. In fact, lots of Christians are finding it hard to believe in the resurrection as a real fact at the moment. It's a hard thing to believe in. It's not unreasonable to be skeptical about miracles. But I think unless you say that miracles simply cannot happen, if that's, unless you say that, I think there, is a number, there are lots and lots of pieces of evidence. I find it a compelling case, in fact, for the resurrection. Now, you might expect me to say that. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I get paid to, to do this stuff, you might say. But I genuinely would suggest to you the evidence for the literal, physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is compelling. Now, that's not this talk. It's not this talk. But there is a talk that I have done. It was part of our Ask London series when we investigated these big questions before Christmas. So if you're here this morning thinking, I'm really not sure I can go that far to say this thing actually happened. Or maybe you're a Christian, you'd love to be able to be more equipped to be able to have these chats with your friends. Then I recommend that talk to you. It's on the website, final Ask London talk, entitled, Did Jesus Christ Really Come Back to Life Again? One of the phrases from this passage that I think has most made an impression on me is just a very simple verse. It's, the, it's verse 15, when Luke tells us this. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near. Jesus himself drew near. And you might think it's a very, very simple, non-profound phrase, but I find it really quite a profound phrase. I think in some ways, you've got the whole of Christianity right there in that phrase. Jesus himself drew near. That's Christmas, isn't it? That God wasn't content to remain distant from humanity, that in the person of Jesus, he, was, he loved us so much, he was born as a human. Jesus drew near, that's Christmas. And equally, Easter tells us that Jesus defeated sin and death in order that we might be near to God, that he might bring us to God. That's the Easter story. In that phrase, is really packed the whole of Christianity. God drew near to humanity as a human and then drew, drew humans to himself. Jesus himself drew near. I love that phrase. And then Luke goes on to say, Jesus himself drew near and he went with them. He went with them. So again, it's a really simple phrase, but it's really spoken to me this week. He walked alongside them. 
Why? He wants to know what they're doing. He wants to know what this couple are thinking. He's genuinely interested in relationship with them, this intimate friendship that I was alluding to before. And furthermore, because Jesus' resurrection body is kind of somehow the same and yet different, and because they, like anybody else, are not expecting a resurrected Jesus, because of those things, they don't recognize him. And it seems that Jesus wants that way, wants it that way. In verse 16, he says, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So all of this means, I think, that Jesus can not only draw near to them, he can draw them near to himself. He can draw them out. Have you had that experience of some people very good at that, aren't they? The questions they ask, they're good at drawing us out. Jesus is so good at drawing us out. He asks questions. He wants to hear what they're really thinking, what they're really believing. He lets them process their grief and their confusion as they essentially say, we thought Jesus Christ was God's Messiah. We thought he was the one who was going to free the Jewish nation from the tyranny of Roman rule. We thought he was going to be the one who would enable us to be free and to live in, uh, under God's peace and favor and blessing. And now he's dead and all our hopes are dead with him. Jesus draws near takes time to hear their disappointment, our disappointment. He does that. He takes time to find out what they're thinking of. He doesn't have to do that. Do you know what I would do if I, was, if I had come back to life again? Maybe we could play the, put the slide up, Seamus. I would do something like this. This is Muse uh, playing at the O2 Arena quite recently. If I had come back to life again, I would get myself an agent. I would call the world's media. I'd have a spectacular show at the O2. I'd have the lights. I'd, I'd kind of organize some multitude of angels above me. I would make the biggest deal I could of the fact that I had risen from death to life. And Jesus is so not like that. Jesus is so humble. He just quietly draws near to this couple so that they might learn to draw near to him. So that they might learn to draw near to him. So that, as they themselves say in verse 32, their hearts might begin to burn within them. That's the result of Jesus drawing near to them. The offer of the resurrected Jesus is not just to know about him. It's not just to investigate the historical evidence for the event, important though that is. The invitation is to walk alongside him. It's an opportunity for us this morning. If you want to have a, a renewed intimacy and friendship and relationship with Jesus, if you want your Emmaus Road walk with Jesus to be characterized by increased intimacy, friendship, having the scriptures opened up before you, then you can respond. I'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray with you this morning. I want you to think about responding to that offer this morning. To know not just, a, not just the journey of faith, but actually the journey of walking with and alongside Jesus Christ in intimacy and in friendship. If you're not a Christian, you can have that this Easter Sunday. That is available to you. If you are a Christian, do you know this? Do you know this kind of intimate walk? Is that how you describe your Emmaus road with Jesus at the moment? Is there a friendship there? So I've been exploring this week myself. Am I, am I enjoying friendship with Jesus? Do I draw alongside him as he draws alongside me during the everyday stuff of the day? Do I tell him how I feel like this couple did? The things I'm thrilled about and the things that I'm disappointed about. 
Can I trust him with my deepest dreams and deepest fears? Is there an intimate friendship along the Emmaus Road with Jesus? Just to help you consider that and to consider your response to that, I'm going to play a short video, which I think is going to help us. He's here. He's alive. That's the joy of a day like today. He's alive and he draws near. And he will walk with you. He will walk with you. In intimacy, in friendship, in kindness, through disappointment. When you open the Bible in the morning, he will make himself known to you. That's the offer this morning. And if you want that, I'd love us to pray for each other towards the end of this, this talk and this service. To welcome Jesus into your daily journey as part of your Emmaus road is to allow him to, to lead and to speak and to listen and to love. Does it mean that every day with Jesus is a day of mountaintop wonder and glory? No. I, I have so many days where I wonder, Jesus, are you even on the same motorway, <laughs> let alone in intimate friendship alongside me. But he is, and he's so willing to draw near when we invite him to do so. Next week, we're going to be starting a new teaching series. Uh, the series is called Vital Science, and uh, we're going to spend a number of weeks looking at different vital signs, different indicators of what's happening in our hearts, different indicators of what it means to walk with Jesus, to have a meaningful, intimate friendship with Jesus. And do you notice, much of these aspects of a Christian walk with Christ, you can see lots of them in this passage. I don't know if you noticed. We saw believers opening the Bible together and seeing Jesus uh, in the pages. We've seen believers opening their home to strangers, demonstrating hospitality. We saw them meeting with each other in community to encourage each other and to celebrate the risen Jesus. All kinds of aspects of the Christian walk. All vital signs of whether we have a healthy heart. That's what vital signs are for. and tell us whether our heart is healthy. That's the tagline of the series. Indications of a healthy heart. You see, we're not going to look at these things for the next 10, 11 weeks because I want you to feel pride if you're doing well or to feel despair if you're not. Both of which are dangers of a series like this. But because we're doing this, because how you engage, how I engage in things like prayer, in things like opening the Bible, in things like hospitality and rest, all of, all of those things are indications of what's happening in here. And it's a healthy heart that we want to generate uh, in this community. So we'll be getting that uh, next week. The offer of the resurrected Jesus is to experience intimacy with him, friendship with him, and to have a healthy heart that beats with life and passion for him. I don't know whether you've ever had that experience of not quite knowing where you're going or why or how you're going to get there, and then suddenly it becomes clear. Um, people say that climbing Mount Everest can be a little bit like that. I've, I would love to have a go at climbing Mount Everest. I would fail dismally. I don't expect to ever actually have the chance to do so, but I've read a couple of books and seen a couple of films, and I'd love to be able to reach the summit of Everest. And, and people tell me that during the, the, the adventure of climbing Everest, often you can kind of not really know, or you can lose track of where you're trying to get to, because the fog and the mist and the cloud and the snow closes in, you can barely see in front of your face sometimes, and the, the ultimate objective 
to stand at the summit of the earth and observe the earth can seem so far away when you can barely see your hand in front of your face and you're freezing cold, to put it mildly. You know where you're going, roughly. You know why you're going there, roughly, and how you're going to get there. But until people say you get above the clouds and get to the summit, that's the moment when suddenly you can see. And this picture, this picture will give us an idea. Imagine that. You get above the clouds. This guy's got to the summit of Everest, and he can now see the curvature of the earth. So high is he? And yet a few hours before he was under the clouds, he wouldn't have been able to see very far at all. You get above the clouds and look at that. You can see this most extraordinary view from the highest point on earth. It's kind of the experience that Cleopas and his wife have. They have a moment when everything becomes clear when the clouds lift from them. And it's in verse 25 when Jesus says to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus says to this couple, you you haven't understood the Hebrew scriptures. You haven't understood the Old Testament. It's like you've been reading them in a fog, in the clouds. But when you see that this whole Old Testament from Genesis all the way through is ultimately about me, Jesus is saying, the cloud will lift and you'll have your own mountaintop moment and you'll see as you're supposed to see all along. And uh, Jesus is trying to explain to them that the, the whole reason, the whole theme of the Old Testament is not about little things, of little aspects of behavior and what to do and how to behave. There's a great big theme of every part of the Old Testament that points towards him. Let me just explain what I mean by that. If you go back to the beginning of the Old Testament, the very beginning, the Garden of Eden scene, the original template to uh, creation with Adam and Eve, what do you see? What characterizes Adam and Eve's uh, relationship with God? It's this, this theme of friendship and intimacy. The Bible suggests strongly that Adam and Eve would have walked and talked with God in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. It's not too much of a stretch to say the first Emmaus road, the first walk with God took place in the Garden of Eden. Total friendship, total intimacy, Listening, listening to God, sharing thoughts and ideas and dreams in the cool of the day. It must have just been remarkable. They only knew, Adam and Eve only knew friendship and intimacy in their walk, their Emmaus road with God until they defaced it, until they spoilt it, until they fractured it. And the whole story of the Bible then points to God's intention to heal that fracture and restore that perfect intimacy between God and people through Jesus. Over and over again, you get indications and signs of that is what to come. And that is what Jesus explains to Cleopas and his wife on this walk. I don't know which examples he chose to point where he is being pointed to. I don't know which moments the Old Testament said, that's where, that's pointing to me, or, or this was ultimately about me, or can you see what God's saying here? I wonder whether one of them might have been the story of Samson. I've been reading Samson um, this week. I've been reading Judges this week in my own just kind of morning times 
reading the Bible and praying. And now we've got a little Samson here in our congregation. And Samson's a wonderful, wonderful name. I love the name. Samson's a cracking name. But the character of Samson, as Cliff and Ruth, I'm sure others will know, is an interesting one. He's an interesting guy. And I wonder, somebody's speculating whether Jesus might have pointed towards the story of Samson as a way of saying why the Old Testament was all about him. You probably know the story of Samson. He was the, the man who was, who was born, or before he was born, he was the man that God picked out to be uh, a leader of the people of Israel, one who would uh, defeat their enemies and one who would restore them to right relationship with God. And, and of course, God blessed Samson with remarkable strength uh, and instructed him not to cut his hair as a sign of that strength and as a sign of him being set apart uh, for God's purposes. But Samson was a deeply flawed man. Like all people, he was flawed, and particularly so in his, in his case. He, he used his strength often selfishly and vengefully. He's pretty rash. Uh, instead of um, loving and supporting the opposite sex, he frankly used them. Yet God in his mercy was still willing to empower Samson to defeat the Philistines, to defeat the enemies of God on several occasions. But eventually, Samson's flaws caught up with him. He was kind of caught in a, in a honey trap, effectively. He gave away the secret of his strength. He had his hair cut. He was then captured by the Philistines. They imprisoned him. They, they wanted to humiliate him as well as disable him. And so they gouged out his eyes. And then they set him to the soul-breaking task of monotonously uh, grinding stone day after day day after day in jail. But eventually, during Samson's imprisonment, his hair began to grow back, which I'm told is a phenom- phenomenon that can bless some, some men, but hasn't, <laughs> alas, echoed down history. And his hair begins to grow back, and, and he senses his strength returning. And one day, Samson is led out to, to really entertain his captors as this great big brute that's been tamed. And he's kind of uh, lumbering around in his, in his chains, entertaining the Philistine captors. But he senses his strength returning. And he says to the little boy, or the servant boy, who's leading him around because he's blind, remember. He says, can you, can you put my uh, hands on the two central pillars? Because in that day, ancient buildings were often sustained by two critical central pillars in the middle. And the little boy puts his hand on one big slab of pillar stone there and he puts his left hand onto one big slab of stone uh, there and he says really out of a desire for vengeance nothing more than that he says to God God can you give me one more burst of strength so that I can bring this building down and can wreak vengeance on your enemies and God gives him that one last piece of strength and somehow his mighty strength he pushes these pillars out of their foundations and the whole thing comes crashing down killing him and all the enemies around him it's a pretty brutal story. The Bible doesn't shy away from these brutal stories and from the brokenness of humanity. But what's the story about? What's the passage about? Often it's these kind of Old Testament stories can be, can be taught as, as really moral lessons. And the idea is, we get is, is to not be like Samson. The message of the story is don't be like Samson. We, we shouldn't disobey God. We shouldn't use power for our own ends. Violence will end in violence. Or uh, beware succumbing to our, our sexual temptations and letting our desires run away with us. All of those things you can glean from the story of Samson. But ultimately, the story of Samson is exactly what Jesus said to Cleopas and his wife that the whole of the Old Testament is about. It points to him. It points to Jesus. Think about it. 
the story of Samson is telling us that people need rescuing. People need a hero. People need a hero who will deliver them, who will rescue them, who will make life as it's supposed to be. It tells us that we need one who will use mighty strength, not for his own ends, but to serve. Story tells us that we need one who will show us perfectly what God is really like and will make it possible for us to come to him. We need one, think about it, who's prepared to have his own arms outstretched and give his life, not in an act of vengeance, but in an act of love and service and compassion in order to defeat the ultimate enemies of mankind. It tells us that we need one who will not remain entombed in stone, but who will beat death, who will rise and leave his tomb behind and bring life and love to all people. One who will commit to them walking alongside us, to engaging with us, to drawing near to us and drawing us to him, to inviting us to know life, resurrection life, abundant life. The story of Samson is ultimately about Jesus. The story of the Old Testament, of the Bible, of, the, of history is ultimately about Jesus. And the message of Easter Sunday is that God, through the resurrection of Jesus, has begun his restoration plan of resurrecting a groaning, creaking world. And as much as we see wonderful, wonderful glimpses of heaven in our world, do we not see that it is groaning and it is creaking? And the resurrection tells us that God has brought life and he's gonna restore and renew this world and reunite us to him in abundant life, in resurrection life. To walk with him with hearts that are healthy, hearts that are alive, hearts like Cleopas's and his wife that end up burning with a passion for him and his resurrection plan. We're gonna take some time to, to respond and to to worship and there'll be a moment later on for us to receive prayer. Like I say, if you think, you know what, I would love my Emmaus Road walk with Jesus to be characterized by intimacy and friendship, then I'm gonna ask you later on to just to come forward and to receive prayer in an easy and in a safe way. Because that's the, I'm convinced there are many, many of us as Christians who are not yet receiving and knowing what Cleopas and his wife knew, which is to genuinely encounter the person and the presence of the Spirit of Jesus on a daily basis as we open up scripture, seeing him come alive through it in all kinds of different ways. But for the moment, just to help us reflect on what we've heard, on the wonderful nature of all of the Easter week, um, the band and the choir are gonna help us because God, our choir are gonna help us to respond. So could you guys all come and join me? We've got a wonderful choir led by Anna who are going to sing for us. And how we're gonna do it is this, Anna's choir are gonna sing, and we're gonna share communion at the same time as they're singing. So they're gonna help us just to create a, I guess a reflective, contemplative space. Uh, communion uh, will arrive shortly on the two silver trays um, to my left and to my right. It's bread and it's wine. If you prefer gluten-free and um, non-alcoholic wine, that's over there in those, in those doors. And I would ask us, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we do uh, every month, is what the church has done now for generations, communion to reflect and to remember what Jesus did on this Easter week. So Easter Sunday, there's no more special day, you could argue, than to celebrate communion. I love this about Jesus, that he, even on Thursday, 
when he knew what was coming on Friday, he was thinking about us. He was thinking about the church. He was thinking that he knew we would need a physical act to help us remember and to worship. And so he put in place this wonderful ritual of sharing communion.